0: Hello from Austin and welcome to episode 238 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Monday afternoon, June 12th, 2023. I'm Bobby Chesney, who's suddenly in danger of losing his bet with his co-host regarding how many episodes we're gonna have this year. Steve, what's happening?
1: Uh, Hi, Bobby, I'm Steve Vladek. Some stuff is happening. Um, Yeah, everyone's mad at us and I just just wanna say like, We'll send you our calendars, and you can you can point out when we should have recorded in the last couple of weeks because they're not very well uh, uh, matched up to each other. Although you you were just in London,
0: yeah, yeah, go checking on the alumni over there. It turns out we have a lot of Texas alumni in London, and it was really nice uh, to be there. And and then the other thing about not recording as often, interesting things happened since our last show, which granted was more than a month ago, but.
1: Wow, you know, like the, 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 the Mets losing
0: eight out of nine. <laughs> Man, maybe, maybe our uh, listeners are glad to not have had episodes during the, uh, the demise of the Mets season. I saw online, you actually f- formally and publicly gave up on them, uh, which was a, a nice bit of realism on your
1: part. I mean, I was I was hoping that it might have some sort of karmatic inspiration for the Mets to turn things around, but alas, they lost two out of three to Pittsburgh. So no, it's not just it's it's not just that they're losing; it's how they're losing. Like you know, bad fundamentals. You know, blowing three run leads in three straight games in Atlanta. I mean, it's all bad.
0: Well, have you, on a happier baseball note, have you been following the college baseball playoffs?
1: I have, although Texas lost last night, but you know. Yeah,
0: but they won in dramatic fashion the night before, and today True. is
1: going to be the, the winner finale. take all. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I
0: guess most listeners didn't come for the baseball talk.
1: Although, you don't, you don't, you don't want to yeah, hear about it. I was going to say, you don't want to hear about the College World Series?
0: Uh, Steve, I think this week they've come for a Trump Landia segment, <laughs> and boy, do we have one. It's it's uh it's obviously time to talk about the Southern District of Florida indictment United States versus Donald J Trump and Waltine Nauta. Do, do, is it Nauta, Do you know? Is that the pronunciation? I, I,
1: Nauta, I think. But okay. you know.
0: All right. So Trump and his my my,
1: my knowledge is for Nauta. uh
0: uh. Hmm, possible showtime. tie. Uh, That's too on the nose. We got to come up with something more clever than that. Um. We are gonna we're gonna go. I think. How, how about how about it's all for Nauta? I. Just, uh...
1: That's too pessimistic. (laughs) Well, I mean, by the time we're done with this, that might be where we end up. (laughs) Well,
0: let's, we're going to, I think what we're going to do, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're going to go through the story as it's been alleged. And then I think we'll go through all the counts and kind of work out exactly what are these charges, how strong are they, you know, which ones are stronger, which are weaker. And then I think we should probably go through sort of frequently asked question style with, some people are saying the following. Is that legally accurate? And, uh, you know, y- y'all can already picture Steve shaking his head in dismay. So we're going to do yeah. our Bob, best. Bobby,
1: Bobby, the Espionage Act is only about espionage. Trump didn't commit espionage. Boom, lawyered.
0: <laughs> Boom, lawyered. That actually, now there is there's an episode title, episode 238. <laughs> Boom, lawyered. I, I, our aspiration here is to give you as straight down the middle a description of what the alleged facts are and how that fits under various statutes, and how, ha- and what might happen next in light of all that, what the complications right. are, and just to put it in context and make this the primer that you need to, to get past all the, you know, I don't think op-eds are a great way to come to grips with this one. Uh, no,
1: no. So, or or, or 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 Fox News appearances or tweets.
0: Well, just really any look. We have a we have a political infotainment system. Out there that is in multiple forms of media, probably not the greatest way to get into the nuances of what's in a complex, several dozen count indictment. Um, That's what we're we're here for. Let us us fill in the blanks. Um, Steve, what do you think? Shall we uh, just kind of launch into the basics of the fact pattern first? Sure. Yep. And And then we can get to, I think, fact pattern, then charges. Then we can get into wrinkles like who the judge is, why, why that judge, uh, et cetera.
1: Why the, president, why the Presidential Records Act is a red herring.
0: <laughs> what? No, you're kidding me. Um, all right. So maybe this is a, I think this is a fair description um, in, in simplified. So in office, the president collected in cardboard boxes, large numbers of documents, uh, including clearly some still classified documents, and left office with large numbers of such boxes. And and we know that a large number of them were taken to Mar-a-Lago. We know that at some points, the the National Archives, which under the Presidential Records Act is the one and only legal custodian and proprietor of those documents. these, These documents are anything that's an official presidential A document of official presidential stuff becomes a presidential document, a presidential record. And under the Presidential Records Act, they belong to the National Archives. And the general idea there is the National Archives curates, maintains custody, and protects those documents, and then following various complicated procedures, eventually ensures that what can be made public does get made public. And we'll we'll talk about that more later, as Steve foreshadowed a moment ago. Suffice to say that these documents, because they were official U.S. government documents and left the president, they're in the wrong place. Um, and eventually the National Archives gets wind, wind of this. There's there's requests to return it. On this show, we've talked a lot previously about the public record on the, the ins and outs of this. Um, here we need to introduce uh, Waltine Nada, who is the, the personal valet of the president. But, Nada a what is a is a guy from guam who was in the u.s navy he retired i believe as a senior chief petty officer was at the white house starting in 2012 worked there for many years during the trump administration becomes the president's valet um, and then when trump leaves office he stays in that capacity and becomes on a private basis trump's uh, valet or as, as people like to say in that business uh, the body man right so he's sort of the the go move this go get that um the personal aid if you will and um in in this period at mar-a-lago the boxes are moving around initially they get brought to some ballroom later on they're put in a shower a large bathroom shower area uh, for purposes of our story here in the indictment the key thing is at some point you have a large number many dozens of these boxes in a storage room um and this is where the story starts getting interesting because not not, there, just,
1: not just a storage room,
0: yeah, not just a storage room, right? Because that's where the, well, that's where the documents in question, the boxes in question start. That's really important <laughs> to the story. So then there's a subpoena, right? There's a there's a grand jury subpoena. Now, you don't you don't have a choice as to whether to comply with a grand jury subpoena or not, if any of us get a grand jury subpoena. Uh, you've got to provide your testimony if that's the kind. Well, yeah, I, mean, wait, I mean,
1: you could move to quash it. Well, yes, yeah, and I was going to say that. If it, okay. You know. We said you don't have a choice. I'm saying, was a, uh, okay, sorry, okay, I jumped the gun. The
0: complete version of what I was going to say was uh, you have to provide your testimony. you got to provide documents. And if you really think you have a legal basis for resisting, you got to go to court to file a motion to quash the subpoena. And you could argue. You could argue privilege. You could argue whatever it is you're going to argue, undue burden, et cetera. But nothing like that happens here. Um, What does happen, what's what's alleged in the indictment in which we'd already heard a fair amount about before and which some of this apparently is is on video. Right. Um, Some. uh, So Trump has a meeting with a couple of attorneys to talk about what the options are here in the meeting. uh, Apparently, we have notes from the attorneys that are quoted and in some cases paraphrased in the indictment uh, to the effect of Trump saying to the attorneys various. Possible off ramps that don't involve disclosing the documents, including suggesting perhaps it's best to not report that they have any documents, or perhaps the documents go away somehow. But there's no documents. That would be best. Well, it looks like the attorneys say no, 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 no. We what we've got to do is we're going to have to certify that we complied with this subpoena. So I'm going to come on such and such a day, and I'm going to I'm going to go to the storage room, and I'm going to come through them looking for. In particular, the classified documents—not all of them classified—but there are classified documents in there. He's going to look for them, and then he'll 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 pull the ones that should be returned, and he'll and they'll certify it was a full and complete search of all of Mar-a-Lago, so it's on a, on a residence basis. What happens after that is that uh, there's a request apparently by Trump to have at least some of those boxes. Uh, I think at 1.64 total brought up to his residence within Mar-a-Lago where some kind of vetting is gonna go on by him. Now, a little bit of context, this is at a point in the season when the Trump family is about to decamp from Mar-a-Lago back up to their place in Bedminster, New Jersey. Um, and there's even some some texting traffic back and forth about whether there would be space on the plane to, to put all the boxes on there and so forth. Um, and I should clarify on that point, the, the claim is that one or the indictment shows that one of the text messages shows someone from the family basically is telling Nata, oh, you know, by the way, you know, you can't, there's a lot of luggage on this plane. You can't put a bunch of boxes on it. It's not that someone said, hey, let's in text, let's fly all these boxes out of here. Although query what happens later on, we'll get to that. So boxes are brought up there and it's clear from the texts that are quoted that Trump is engaging in some kind of filtering through there how extensive it is, what he's doing, is he, is he extracting things before sending the boxes back down? That, there's no evidence uh, or allegation in the indictment sh- shedding light on that. What does happen is on the morning of the day that the attorney is to come back to do the, the screening for production to NARA, uh, or sorry, to the, to the grand jury, I guess, in complying with the subpoena, the boxes, 64 of them are still up in Trump's residence NADA and another staffer go up there and they bring back not all of them, but I think about 30 of them, Steve, I think that's right. And so when the attorney shows up to do the search, which is all in the storage room and only the storage room, he's not actually searching all the boxes. He's only searching a subset. Um, Now I'll flag something I think is gonna be important on some, but not all the charges here. The indictment is a little, there's space in the indictment for us to wonder what exactly the government will be able to prove at trial about exactly who knew and said what about the process of getting the documents all out of the residence back down to the storage room. It's clear that, that boxes don't all come back downstairs, um, whether the government will be able to prove that there was a specific direction to NADA to leave some behind. Um, or something like that, that that part's not clear from the indictment. And that that could come up later on. We'll return to that. In any event that the attorney comes in, finds a bunch of responsive classified documents, sticks them in a red weld. And when the FBI shows up to take possession, that's what they turn over. Interestingly, that attorney doesn't sign the certificate of compliance with the subpoena. That attorney briefs a third attorney who comes in having no direct knowledge of all this and says on information and belief, A complete search of all Mar-a-Lago was done, and here's all the responsive documents, which is not accurate. That later on becomes clear, thanks to the search warrant, that there were, in fact, still plenty of responsive documents that had not yet been produced. Okay, there's other, uh, the other, I think, main factual things to note in the indictment. One, eventually there would be interviews of the FBI, of Waltine Nada, and he's asked a bunch of questions about his role in all of this and it looks very bad for waltine not it seems pretty clear from some of the quotes that he was de- claiming no knowledge of certain document custody matters that other information shows he was personally involved in so this is a big deal and steve i think you'll probably agree with this because i think a lot of the future course of this prosecution um may hinge, not all of it, but some of it may hinge on, will not uh, decide to plea? And will he become a cooperating, uh, a testifying witness against Trump? Will he flip on Trump in short? I, not all the not all the charges depend on that. Uh, but he's the one who's most squarely, actually, according to what's quoted in the indictment, seems most clearly caught dead to rights on at least some charges, especially the lying to the FBI. That's going to create a lot of pressure Uh, Will that be enough pressure on him to flip? We'll see. Also worth noting, there are uh, two instances described that are separate from what we might call the concealment story. So, So everything I've just said is the concealment story. Then there is the story of the inappropriate sharing or showing off, the show and tell story, where there are two instances described in which seemingly classified documents um, were with Trump in Bedminster. So again, notice that some of the action ends up moving to New Jersey at some point, where it appears there's ample evidence to believe that the president pulled out some of these documents to show them off once in a conversation with a writer and publisher and some staff where he was basically trying to rebut the claim that he had been hot to trot to, to attack Iran, which is something that a, a senior military official um, was reported to have said, and Trump was responding to that by saying, no, 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 the military, that that particular person, they wanted me to attack Iran. Look, I've got DOD plan of attack documents right here. And there's extensive quoting because the, the writer and publisher were recording this. There's a quote about everyone sort of chuckling over the fact that, well, we could do more with this, but it's still a secret. It's we didn't these aren't de- these aren't declassified yet and i'm not in office anymore they almost word for word say that sort of stuff so that's one sort of key moment of illustrating knowledge and intent not to mention inappropriate sharing um and then there's a shorter description of a possibly similar episode showing uh, a classified military map sounds like it had to do with syria perhaps uh to a person from his political action uh committee all right, Steve, did I leave out any of the key indictment facts or is that pretty much the picture?
1: The, the only thing I would add is I, I do think that in addition to the question of what NADA does, they've got recordings. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the recordings, Bobby, are in the indictment. Um, I mean, we, we knew about the recordings. I think CNN had broken the existence of at least one of them before the indictment was made public um but the indictments are uh, the recordings are uh, how do i say inculpatory yes yeah, so we we know there's the the writer and
0: publisher recording of that conversation we know there's some video showing not enough people moving boxes in and out of the storage room during certain time periods that are factually relevant do, did you pick up were there other recordings
1: do you think but just just the one when when Trump is literally saying hey this is secret <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right, right. To the to the, to the writer, and then yeah. I think what they have in addition to those recordings, as I mentioned a moment ago, that I think the uh, what a key part of this, a lot of these charges turn on, was the attorney who did the review. Right. D- did they knowingly mislead that attorney? What happened there? And there are the attorney actually, ha- of course, has notes, uh, memoranda of conversation with the client. Um, all right, and, we'll, and maybe we'll come back later on to the attorney-client privilege aspects of this, because I imagine we're going to see an effort to suppress the relevant evidence there and thereby, you know, we'll talk about how the defense will come after these charges. All right, uh, any other major things to say? I guess I'll note this, Um, and here we can start talking about why is this case in Florida? Um, This indictment and the factual account in it are very Mar-a-Lago specific. That's very important. Um, In the aftermath of the storage room only, some of the boxes only search that that was certified as being fully responsive to the subpoena. The Trump family did leave then to go to Bedminster. uh, And we, I don't think know whether some or perhaps a lot of documents may have gone with him to Bedminster. And as as several people have observed, it is entirely possible, A, that there has been a subpoena directed to the Bedminster uh, property or properties Um, That there is, with or without that, that there is some amount of interviewing and thus possible concealment or false statement or obstruction activity associated with that. And then all that could show up at any time in a separate indictment brought in that separate district, the District of New Jersey. In other words, this case, this is just about whatever concealment and retention went on specifically at Mar-a-Lago. And that does not foreclose the possibility of a separate set of violations being brought or charged later on in New Jersey. And, you know, that's relevant for many reasons. One, you know, who knows what the different facts there might be. It's compounding of charges. Maybe it's easier to prove some of those charges. Maybe not. Um, But it'll be before a different judge, too. And maybe we should talk about why is it before? Who is this judge, Steve? and, And why is it? Why is it before this judge?
1: Yeah, so the case, the, the the criminal indictment in Florida was assigned to Judge Eileen Cannon, a name folks might well remember from, oh, Trumpapalooza last time or Mar-a-Lago-Palooza. This is the same Trump-appointed district judge who, Bobby, creatively, is that the most neutral word we can say? Um, somewhat lawlessly, um, you know, took a lot, asserted a lot of authority over the. Uh, the sort of the contents of the FBI's August 2022 search of Mar-a-Lago and the appointment of a special master and got very unceremoniously slapped down by the 11th Circuit? I think it's pretty
0: fair. It it was a uh, crushingly wrong legal analysis by this district judge when when, when Trump followed... Okay, so the events we just described as the concealment story were eventually followed once it all began to come to light that there were still documents there This was followed by a full-on search warrant and the FBI came in and they got the documents themselves and finally got what seemed to be the last of the documents um, setting in motion and exposing to the public that there was um, a criminal investigation going on, et cetera. And Trump filed civilly, filed a suit to effectively try to enjoin and put the court in the bizarre position of this judge in Florida, uh, supervising and, and constraining and indeed partially stopping, um, A, the criminal investigation that was that was taking place under the special counsel. And by the way, we need to explain that this is a special counsel investigation in a moment. And also impacting how the government could handle the retrieval of classified documents in the sort of national security management of those documents, which is really something. Suffice to say the Judge Cannon uh, surprised almost everybody by basically asserting a lot more authority than it turned out she had. Um, Making claims about potential executive privilege that don't make any sense at all for someone who is not the president at this time, um, and then got you know very abruptly and strongly reversed by a three-judge panel, all of whom were Republican-appointed judges. I should add, they two out of those three were also Trump-appointed judges. And you know, a reminder that we got to be wary of just assuming party of appointment or judge of a president of appointment tells us the outcome. Uh, so I think a lot of people, when when the case emerged, there was a lot of talk about who's gonna get the case. There are a lot of judges in the Southern District of Florida. Surely it won't be Eileen Cannon again. And then of course it was, which is yet, yet another one of those moments where it feels like there's are showrunners who script all of this. And um, some people just assumed this was of course gonna be the case because it's, it's a related case. It's not a related case, not a related case. The civil case that Trump had filed is a closed case. The special counsel's filing of the uh, the grand jury's indictment um, does not, it, it says no on it, whether there's a related case. This does appear, Steve, I think it really was just the luck of the draw, the random assignment of the judges who are eligible to have it assigned to them.
1: With, that- yeah, I mean, with a couple of twists, um, it was the luck of the draw on a wheel that was already constrained by... Senior judges who have already reached their quota in criminal cases for the year, um, right? So the way senior judges operate, they have a sort of an, um, uh, an amount of cases they're supposed to hear. And then once they hit that, they're done. So you're um, left with the
0: active judges only, and there are not many in the relevant divisions of the Southern District.
1: Which we should say, I mean, because um, the Republican senators in Florida have made very clear, much like the Republican senators in Texas, um, that they're not willing to confirm, uh, we might say, qualified nominees from the Biden administration without maybe concessions at the Biden administration. I mean, there are a couple open seats on that court, which I think is not irrelevant to how Judge Cannon had such good odds.
0: Well, here i i I don't know about the politics of appointments here but i do know about this so there's the southern district of florida which is one of the three federal districts in the state northern middle and southern is in turn subdivided into five sort of vertically stacked divisions Um, there's sort of a collection of counties they're the 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 fort pierce uh division then below that you've got west palm beach which is the the most relevant division here that's the division in which the alleged activity occurred because that's where mar-a-lago is that's the division in which the indictment was was checked off to be filed. Uh, below that is for Lauderdale, then you got Miami, then Key West. And Steve, my loose understanding of this is that the uh, when they proverbial or metaphorically spin the wheel to randomly assign one of the uh, eligible eligible judges, um, you of course have whichever judges are in that division. And then you have the neighboring counties or maybe it's the neighboring divisions. But either way, the pool was no more than whoever the active judges were. Across Fort Pierce, West Palm Beach, and Fort Lauderdale, um, and so you uh, let's see here. If the senior judges were all out, um, let's see, two active status judges in Palm Beach. You've got uh, five active judges in Fort Lauderdale, um, or maybe that's Fort Lauderdale and Fort Pierce. So you've got you know like a, kind of like a one in ten chance of having drawn. Eileen Cannon. And like the Spurs draft, draft, getting the first round pick in the NBA draft, sometimes they like, roughly 10% to 12% chance. Uh, it's got to land for somebody, right? So all, so all of them were that same chance.
1: So let's talk about why this matters, right? I mean, so, so a district judge has a heck of a lot of ability to control a criminal prosecution. And there are two things I really want to flag, Bobby. The first is, Um, how quickly or slowly a criminal case moves is very much, um, in the sort of, you know, not discretion, but sort of, um, there's, there's, there's room for a district judge to actually have a lot of control over the speed or lack thereof of the proceedings. Um,
0: and that leads really large here. We used to talk on the show all the time in the Trump years about the, much as Napoleon said that quantity has a quality all its own. Um. Delay has a quality, or the passage of time, especially when it comes to, to Trump and the, po- the prospect that he could be president again down the road, or, or, or somebody sympathetic to him might be. Um, that has a quality all its own, too, here, both as to himself and to his co defendant, who's the person most in a position to cause him more serious jeopardy than he's already in.
1: And then there's the sort of the nuclear the nuclear uh, option, which is um, an Oren Kerr pointed this out over the weekend. So, Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 29 um, is the is the rule that gives district judges the power to issue a judgment of acquittal as a matter of law. Um, and so, Bobby, I mean, this is, you know, anyone who's watched Law and Order, right? The, at the end of the prosecution's case in chief, the defense will often move for judgment of acquittal on the ground that the prosecution has failed to establish its evidentiary burden or its legal burden as a matter of law. Um, those are not pro forma, Bobby, but those are often made and seldom granted. Um,
0: yeah, so, look, I think, I'm not too worried about that. I think that if the government,
1: no, not that worried about it because don't you think that would be reversed? No, because it's not appealable
0: judge, it's not appealable at all?
1: Rule 29, grants of acquittal under Rule 29 are not appealable and Jeopardy attaches.
0: Wow, I did not know that. That's incredible.
1: Yes, this is the problem.
0: Okay, well, so certainly worried then. Um, (laughs) This raises raises a separate issue that's that's gotten a lot of attention. Okay, so, so Judge Cannon issued a very wrong conclusion in the warrant aftermath oversight. Uh, matter? Does it definitely follow that she's just sort of in the bag for Donald Trump?
1: So the question is, I, with with all respect to to everyone on the internet who's blowing up about this, the question is not whether she's in the bag for Donald Trump. The question is whether a reasonable observer could be fairly, you know, could fairly conclude that she's in the bag for President Trump. And I just want to say, like,
0: so what, I know why
1: is that the question? I mean, are we more concerned with what she's going to do than what people think is going to happen? I mean, I think public perception, and so th- th- we're in a bit of uncharted territory here. No presidents ever been tried by a judge he appointed, um, because no president's ever been tried. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's
1: a, it's a larger category than that. Yeah. Well, but that, but this is a problem, right? So I just it seems to me that one can believe that Judge Cannon is acting in good faith, and still think that it would be better off if she recused. Oh, I see
0: what you're saying. I'm sorry, I wasn't thinking in terms of whether she should recuse. I. I don't think she should recuse because she got it so wrong before. No, right? I
1: think she. I think she should recuse because Trump appointed her. So
0: you think any Trump appointed judge
1: shouldn't in resign? a criminal case? So I, civil yeah, cases. Uh, I, listen, different- I'm. I will die on the hill that civil cases are different, and that you know a judge appointed by President X is under no obligation to recuse from civil cases challenging the actions of President X. Like that's fine. But Bobby, criminal cases, I, I just I don't think it's that and I would I would even happily trade a canon recusal for all of the Democratic appointees in the district court rec- recusing as well. like it just this is too important a case to be left to anyone even wondering if the reason why this ruling was made or this ruling was not made right is, is anything other than the judge going by the book.
0: So by that logic, wouldn't all appellate and Supreme Court review also have to have the same rule of recusal such that-
1: No, because district courts have unique power over criminal prosecutions. The appellate judges reviewing things as a matter of law is a separate issue to me than the- pretty awesome powers that a district judge has over the proceedings. The problem, Bobby, is double jeopardy, right? The problem is that once jeopardy attaches, there are powers that a district court has, not appellate courts. There's nothing an appellate court can do to mess with jeopardy, right, except at the margins. But like you make a really good argument
0: that I I think that's a powerful distinction between the circuit layer and the district judge. One could argue that that sort of powerful finality also is part and parcel of the Supreme Court's ultimate review. So maybe the circuit shouldn't have to have that same recusal rule, but maybe the Supreme Court justices should. And if one goes that far, he probably proves too much.
1: I I was going to say, I... I so it is not, to me, about any judge appointed by President Trump being in any way involved in his proceedings. I think we have, Bobby, a track record of appellate judges appointed by President Trump going in every direction, right, and, and doing what appellate judges do, and by, by all accounts acting responsibly as appellate judges, right? The problem is that when you have – so I think this concern would be a little harder if it were a different Trump-appointed district judge but it would still be present in my view, right? When you have a district judge appointed by President Trump in a context in which it's not unreasonable for folks to look at the track record and say, you know, here there's already evidence of some, not favoritism, Bobby, but just sort of some departure from neutral legal principles um, or from correct legal principles in how this judge has handled the very underlying FBI search in this case, Right, that's where I start getting really worried about the fact that this judge has the unique power of acquittal yeah. in a context that that appellate judges would not.
0: I understand that concern in light of the uh, the acquittal capacity. Um, I I think it's pretty clear. Seems very unlikely she's going to recuse. Right. Um, and one thing worth flagging is, so we've been focused on sort of this worst case scenario where where the government actually makes its case and there's just an, a completely inappropriate. Uh, none, a non directed acquittal nonetheless um but assume that doesn't happen then it kind of flips around and the fact that it is this judge of all judges becomes a potentially powerful you know if he were to be convicted on her watch right. it can't get more uh reinforcing of the rule of law normalcy of that you know it's sort of a nixon only nixon can go to china uh perhaps only canon can preside over the conviction of the former president during the campaign
1: no, no, so, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 understand that argument, and there's a lot to it. It's just if I'm DOJ, that is quite a that is quite a roll of the die, um, yeah, to me.
0: Right, what choice do they have? I mean, I guess you can say like, well, but they can, they can move. move for
1: they can move for recusal.
0: Yeah, but I, I doubt it's going to happen. I mean, not, no, not but, I'm not saying I doubt that they're going to move, but I doubt that she's going to. She's not going to do it
1: but unlike a Rule 29 judgment of acquittal, a motion for recusal that is denied is at least subject to extraordinary review via mandamus in the 11th circuit um pretty uphill bar but I would you know exactly. I, I just if I'm DOj I'm not sure that I'm I'm you know it's not open and shut to me Bobby but I I, I have to think there are conversations about whether that is a is a is a string worth playing out.
0: So it, and it, it's tricky because so Jack Smith, the special counsel, has said he wants to move forward very quickly. They're tr- they want to get this case done before the New York case, which in many ways it's unfortunate that that case is in front. You know, came out first because it's in many ways lands less seriously than the handling of national security documents, um, whether it should or shouldn't. That's just I think descriptively how it is. And as you said a moment, as we were saying a moment ago, the question of delay and possibly not having the trial. I mean. What if this trial is going on at the time of the election? What if it's happening? What if it's coming to a head the day before? There are many negative possible outcomes for the country as a whole, political, social stability, depending on just questions of timing. Um, so I, I wonder his desire, his very understandable desire, to just quickly get to trial on this. A, is there any chance of it? And, it, and if that's the case, and if he's unlikely to be able to get a mandamus driven uh, forced recusal, is it worth the candle of pursuing it at all? I'm, I'm sure, like you say, that's what they're debating and trying to figure out. Yep. Um, so I'm going to put my bet down on they don't try for it and, it. and if they do, it won't actually happen.
1: So I mean, but play this out with me. So imagine a world in which at the end of a trial before a jury, Trump is convicted and then canon enters a post-judgment, you know, ju- a post-trial judgment of acquittal. Yeah. I like, feel to me, that is a real problem.
0: <laughs> well, I think, unquestionably, but I, but I don't think, at least I didn't perceive that's what we were arguing about. No, 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 no. I no mean the, that, that that might happen.
1: But the question is, if terrible. So in light of that, is what
0: is the balance of sh-
1: strategic equities for the prosecutor? That's the question, right? And I think the question is just sort of what odds does DOJ actually put on that happening?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, that was my point. It's like, I think the odds are pretty slim. And since you would definitely lock in some amount of delay they don't want, I suspect they'll they'll wait and say, "Well, it'd be great if we could not have her be the presiding judge." But I don't think we're going to get that, so let's just proceed. Um, the charges. Let's let's. I know we're pressed for time. Let's let's talk about these charges. So the, there's a bunch of them, but it's simpler. You know, Thirty-one of them are uh, the same category of charge on a document by document basis. So it's helpful to kind of begin by saying, "Look, we're talking about uh, six or six or so offenses." There's a chunk of 31 counts under 18 U.S. Code Section 793E, which is part of what is known as the Espionage Act. These are not espionage charges. There's a lot in the Espionage Act that's not about espionage as such. And you know, Does,
1: does I, Lindsey Graham know that?
0: I that, that I can't tell you. I can't tell you that I, there's a lot of red herring
1: talk. It's literally, so the, when Lizzie Graham goes on Twitter and on national television and starts complaining that nothing Trump is charged with is espionage, therefore the espionage act doesn't apply, Bobby, I testified at a hearing that he was at. Like before his committee, and it's not like I was at this random outlier. Like everyone who's ever come within a country mile of the Espionage Act knows that it goes way the hell afield of espionage.
0: Right. No, I know. Look, it's an all. It's a this is a more than a century old statute that's got lots of different offenses in it, and it may have originated in in the World War One context in which thoughts of espionage concerns were first and foremost, but it has persisted over time because it doesn't just do that, it's also the basic bedrock criminal statute that undergirds the general system for protecting national defense information by making it fundamentally a felony to knowingly have national defense papers and records when you're not supposed to, when you're not authorized, and keeping possession of them even after the government, even when you know you do, and you're supposed to return them. That. That's not about espionage. That's just the basics of having a criminal law to back up the rules of classified information.
1: How to say? I mean, so there are pe- there are a lot of people on the internet, um, but not just on the internet. I mean, there's like people like you know Byron York, right, saying, okay, well maybe this just means that we ought to amend and reform the Espionage Act. Which my response is like. Come to you. Know, welcome to my to my soapbox. I've been there since two thousand and seven. Okay, so, I've,
0: as is often the case, I'm not the close follower of some of the politico legal discourse online. Are you saying that people are saying that it shouldn't be a crime for someone to take national defense information and just keep it personally, as don't give it to a foreign power? That's at ridiculous.
1: Least, at least the president, the former president, which seems like a really oh, stupid I'm, card out to me.
0: I'm, I think we'll take Trump and put him in a little category of his own. But, so, but, so, no, but are you saying that it should be legal for people to right. possess classified information and just keep it for themselves? Damn the rules!
1: I mean, if it's if it's not harming anybody, that's not yeah. that, that's my that's my mockery voice. In case you, oh, tell. I, ho-
0: I hope I hope I sound suitably outraged. I, I suspect that no one who's actually saying this in this context really thinks it should just be perfectly lawful. For so I mean to I go mean, home I mean, with classified information. As long as they don't knowingly provide it to a foreign power, you can just walk out of the skiff with your pockets stuffed.
1: Come on. It's ridiculous. I, mean, I agree that it's ridiculous. The, the the reforms I have proposed to the Espionage Act for you know two decades now are a fair amount more modest, but just
0: the, the, <laughs> That's the what I really is- want to get at. I know that you have lots of narrowing you'd like to see, but I don't know anybody in the in the serious debate yeah. about adjusting Section 793, who's saying, by the way, it should just be legal to, to do let's, this. You know, let's be clear. Right? Right?
1: When, when people on, quote, the left, unquote, have been exercised about 793E in the past, Bobby, they have been primarily concerned about how it can be used to prosecute downstream right. recipients yeah. Of, yeah. Of, yeah. of leaked, you know, however, leaked right. per million. this case got nothing to do with that. that's the point the, the distinct, Bobby when we have that fight and I, I I'm sure if we go back through our 238 episode catalog we'll find a couple of episodes to that end, right oftentimes where principled even moderates end up is distinguishing between the person responsible for removing the information and the person who's just the downstream recipient like that's a principled place I think right, to draw the distinction. But let's be clear, Trump is on the wrong side of that line, right? I mean, like, this is this is not the part of the stat, like, this is not what the left has been clamoring for, for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years now.
0: So here, here's, for, so for as is, so we got the statute as is, 793E, possession of any document relating to the national defense, if unauthorized, and this certainly isn't authorized, although I guess we should pause here to note, one line of defense will be the uh, claim that somehow, some way, even if only by implication that Trump, while still president, um, somehow exempted th- this, you know, declassified the information, somehow took it out of the national defense information category. I think that's where it's very powerful that they have recording it's of him secret. seemingly clearly acknowledging that these are that he failed to take that action while still president. So that argument's probably not going to-
1: I also, Can I say one other thing, Bobby, just before you run past that? And critically, the statute does not refer to classified information. Right. It, relates, it refers to information relating to the national defense, partly because the statute is so fracking old that it predates right. national security right. classification. But Bobby, there are lots of court cases, right, holding that the sort of the test for whether it's information relating to the national defense is not just whether it is or is not classified.
0: Right. So um, and and the critical thing here is they already have evidence that's quoted from a recording that's quoted in the indictment. So they got the recording where it seems pretty clear that Trump's acknowledging that he didn't actually take that step. So even if that step were to matter, then he didn't take that step, at least not as to every document. And it doesn't matter, at least as to that one. Now, there's more. It's not enough that you possess it because here you get the, the phenomenon of government officials who turn out to have stuff and lots of them, as we know, do. Um, if you, quote, retain the same and fail to deliver it to the officer or employee of the United States entitled to receive it, if done willfully. So there's that additional element, because the statute kind of has baked into it this idea of like, oh, sorry, did not realize that was stuck in the the boxes I took home. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that by the time of the charge defense conduct, um, that we're in that zone. Like you're on notice, you've got some of these documents, you are choosing to retain them. So I think, I guess what, if I'm defense counsel, I'm trying to think, like, what's his best defense against the this? Because otherwise, he, he seems kind of clearly covered by it. Um, maybe he can argue that the comments he made to his attorneys about how, well, it'd be nice if we just said these documents didn't exist, if they just disappeared, uh, he could claim, like, look, that's just bluster. I gave up on that as soon as they told me that's not Okay. And then he can claim that the actual failure to show the attorney all the boxes of documents for the review. Oh, that's not what I wanted. That was just I guess my staff just screwed up. So I think it will really help the government hugely if they can get NAWTA to testify and say, no, no, no. Like we were told not to bring down certain documents. I don't think they have that direct testimony yet. So I think that's the weak spot in the charge evidentiary wise. And right now, it looks like they're going to have to do it circumstantially, and it's circumstantially strong, but there'll be a little space if there's a juror that's inclined to go the Beyond Reasonable Doubt route. Maybe, maybe there's a pathway for him if Nautis stays silent on this topic or sticks to his story. Um, You got all these other charges that boil down to obstruction of justice and concealment and and that sort of thing. Um, And I'm just going to quickly read from the key language. Uh, under Section 1512, the sort of witness tampering and document concealment statute, um, if you knowingly and intentionally persuade another person to withhold a document from an official proceeding and you do so corruptly, that's an offense. Now, the, the bulk of the indictment is all about the, the, the shenanigans hiding the boxes of documents, which leads to the attorney who did the screening and, and that person's further involvement of another attorney to falsely certify, inaccurately certify, perhaps, probably not realizing it, they said that they certified as a complete search, and they, they didn't really. Is this applicable here? Well, much of it turns on what "corrupt" means, and the Eleventh Circuit has pattern jury instructions that are on point about the what the jury will be charged with finding. And it and here's here's the language in the pattern jury instructions: to act corruptly means to act voluntarily, deliberately, and dishonestly with the specific intent to sway, change, or prevent some action likely to be taken in the proceeding. So if, in fact, the jury's persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump and NADA had a meeting of the minds to impact the investigative proceeding by withholding documents, and they've persuaded someone else to withhold documents, they'd be guilty. I think that language about when it's the conspiracy charge, Steve, and they've got to persuade somebody unless Trump persuading NADA is enough. I think the conspiracy charge could be tricky because I don't know that there's a third person in the loop yet. Who's the one they persuaded. If NADA can be the one persuaded, if you can have a conspiracy between Trump and NADA where Trump persuades NADA to withhold the documents, there you go, you got them dead to rights. But it's kind of neither here nor there because there's a whole bunch of direct non-conspiracy charges charging both Trump and NADA with variations of you misled someone. So that's also part of section 1512. You can, you can under 1512 B2A and under 1512 C1, um, you can mislead another person into withholding documents. You can uh, under 1512 C1, You could have a conspiracy that just results in concealing of documents. Any of those will work as a conspiracy charge. And I think they've definitely got NADA pretty close to dead to rights here, given his subsequent false statements to the FBI. And with Trump, they've got him circumstantially, but they could really use NADA to close the deal. I mean, what they're trying to match up is the circumstantial fact that lots of the boxes stayed in the residence. But there's a question there, but like, whoa, well, but why? If NADA doesn't testify then it, and, no, and the other employees don't testify and Trump doesn't testify about that, that could be hard to close the loop. You gotta match it with the larger context where clearly Trump was, he, he had an intent or a desire to hide all the documents. Um, and you have to be able to, to put those pieces together to make the corrupt intent come through. They can definitely do that, but it's not a lockdown until you get someone like NADA to say, yeah, no. Trump told me we're not we're not putting everything back. Don't take those. If you can get that testimony, then then it's a lockdown case.
1: Unless Judge Cannon feels otherwise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, well, well says I Judge Cannon, do you do you agree with that analysis of yeah. the evidence that that's the weakness in the charges right
1: there? Yeah, but I mean, you know, that's only some of the charges, right?
0: Well, so I think that covers I think that covers pretty much or it can be used as a description of most of what's said here except the false statements right. right not as not as uh toast on his false statements the false statement charge against trump is a little tricky because um okay here's charge 37 false statement in violation of 18 us code section 1001 um this is that charge is based on that attorney signed certification now, Trump himself didn't sign the certification. So to get him for the false statement, you have to create the causal chain, the the willful intent chain between his set of actions and the false statement. So again, what I'm suggesting is that there's a, certainly enough evidence to indict, obviously. There's enough evidence to go to the jury. And I think a jury would find this to be more than ample s- circumstantial evidence to convict. But it's not smoking gun, at least not yet. The smoking gun isn't in there where they actually have they have Trump say to the lawyers early on, hey, it'd be great if we just didn't turn over the documents. But then they say, no, you've got to do we've got to do this search. Okay, okay. Can they get someone with him saying or pointing or directly, personally saying, hold these documents back? It's circumstantially implied very strongly. Right. i'm just pointing out like they, they could really use a witness on this they may have the witness on this they don't have to yes. put that directly into the indictment um and uh, and even if they don't yet have it they may yet get right. it by having one either either nada or the other employee who helped move the boxes around testify
1: well, yeah, um, and, I mean, the other thing is, right, I mean, there's, you know, for the number of of classified documents described in the indictment, he's only charged with regard to a subset of them. So it's also, I mean, there appears to already be some strategic decision-making by the government about what it, you know, what it's holding back and what it's focusing on. By the way, did you notice in the indictment,
0: there's some quotes from some text messages among the employees about moving the boxes around, and one of them refers to them as the, quote, beautiful mind paper boxes.
1: yes. Dude, what what do you suppose that's all about like the the russell crowe the diagram yeah. and, right? like right. Like,
0: like, cuckoo town that I was mean, pretty wild. okay maybe. um let me let me let's go to lightning round steve um some people say that uh this is the president indicting the former president is that a fair <laughs> description of no. how this works why not
1: Uh, Because the president is not a prosecutor, because uh, Jack Smith went to a federal grand jury in the Southern District of Florida and persuaded, what is it, 23 of, you know, the president's fellow, uh, President Trump's fellow citizens, um, that there was probable cause to believe that all of these crimes had been committed. Um, You know, President Biden was not on the grand jury, so far as we know, would have been quite weird if he was. So, No. I mean this is this is not to say the grand jury system is perfect it's just to say that you know there are some steps between what people conjure president biden as wanting and how the the criminal justice system works
0: uh, what about this next one we we talked about this earlier but uh, some are saying like the whole endi- the whole indictment collapses all the charges collapse because of the claim that you know that, that trump had authority to possess these uh, documents let's assume for the sake of argument he had a, it turns out he has a good argument for that does that mean that you can make false statements no to the fbi no. or you conceal documents in response to a grand jury subpoena
1: no, what you do is you move to quash the subpoena on the ground that this on the ground that you have a right to hold on to the documents and you have a right to not comply with them. Not that, you know, I'm going to not you don't get to lie to the government just because you might have a valid defense to the subpoena.
0: What some people say that the Presidential Records Act of 1978 oh, God. somehow make these his records because they're records and he had been president. Uh, what about that one?
1: No, the Presidential Records Act of 1978 goes in the other direction. Anyone who knows any of the history here, or Bobby, I dare say, who has read the Presidential Records Act, would know that, in fact, what the Presidential Records Act does is it means and makes almost all of these records presidential records, which are not the, 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 the property of either the president while he's president, and certainly not of a former president. Um, The whole point of the Presidential Records Act was to resolve disputes with former President Nixon over records he had taken with him. It would be rather odd, Bobby, if the Congress that meant to respond to President Nixon's abuses actually gave the president a get out of taking secret documents home with you free card.
0: You know, um... 44 USQ Code 2203G says that at the end of the president's term, the archivist of the United States, quote, shall assume responsibility for the custody, close quote, of presidential records. I think some of the confusion here insofar, as I think some people, maybe not active on Twitter, but some people are genuinely confused because they've only looked at Section 2205, yep. which is the exceptions to something called restricted access. So the context is 2204 says, hey, if a president is worried that the archivist is going to make records public too soon, or at all when they shouldn't, the president, while, while still in office, can make a request to keep things sort of extra restricted. Okay, and then in 2205, there's an exception to that that allows for access to properly restricted, so extra secret, secret archivist held records, and one of the exceptions is that president and that president's designees can still have access to the documents. But that doesn't mean that, okay, first possession. of all, access access is none, not of stuff, restricted means extra protected. Right. None of this means in any way that the archivist surrenders control, let alone the documents can be withheld from the archivist to begin with. I think if you know nothing about this and you're just kind of cherry picking and you come across 2205's exception, you might think, oh, it says here the president can have a has available these records. Maybe that somehow is misleading some people. But in context, it's very clear that's
1: very wrong. So, and I'll just say, I mean, just to, to put this in broader context, when the Presidential Records Act, Bobby, talks about personal records, what they mean is like personal correspondence, right? You know, sort of thank you notes, maybe some campaign material, because that's not governmental records. The information that's described in the indictment, Bobby, these are agency records. Like, these are documents created by executive branch agencies.
0: There's no question they're presidential records, at least the ones at issue here. Last question for you. I know we got to go. Some have said, like, look, 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 this whole thing is, yes, strictly speaking, a violation of the statutes, but we're making a mountain out of a molehill and prosecutorial discretion should have been exercised here on the theory that, you know, ultimately, Yes, he shouldn't have held on to them, but it's not like, as far as we know, there's any claim that others got hold of them. They're trying to say, or some have tried to suggest, that it's simply a case in which records were withheld, no harm, no foul. Right. Um, I think a for anyone else, no harm, no foul. Tough luck. You're still going to jail. That there's, I mean, that's how it's been for everybody else who's gotten into this particular situation. But more importantly, most of those situations don't involve active concealment.
1: So, so this is and, yeah. this so this this is the this is the most important. I mean, right? So the entire right wing you know media sphere is all about what about Sandy Berger? What about Hillary Clinton? What about blah blah blah? By the way, I love all the people trying to apply the Presidential Records Act to Hillary. She wasn't the president, um, right? So no prior case, Bobby, involving any of the former executive branch officials who are held out in all these what aboutist quips involved an official who once they were contacted by the government and once a demand was made for the return of the documents took affirmative steps to continue to withhold and conceal their possession of those documents and i'm the i would be the first person to say that if they prosecuted trump for simply you know, co-mingling a couple of secret documents as he's packing up the Oval Office that he returned diligently the second they were requested, that would strike me as abusive and overreach, even if it fell technically within the auspices of 793E. But you cannot, and all the people trying to defend him, cannot get past the fact that the government came to him and said, we think you still have these documents. And he said no, and he took steps to obfuscate and obscure the fact that he did, that to me is what trans is that that moment Bobby is and always has been what separates this from all of the other cases people think this looks like.
0: No, 100%. And and this is also why I mean I look, I'm not going to speak for whatever's in the Twitter sphere, but you know, on Fox News, this is why Bill Barr is out there saying, "No, this is not okay. This is clearly wrong. This is Trump's fault. This is not a witch hunt." That's why John Bolton was on NPR this morning saying the same thing. There there are plenty of people uh, whose political motives don't point in this direction who nonetheless are saying, of course this is inappropriate because it's a, if if it's as alleged, then it's improper concealment, which is a whole different kettle of fish from accidental mingling.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, when you have people like Congresswoman Nancy Mace complaining that Hillary took a hammer to her server, something that never happened, right. Um, We're back in the world of sort of fighting, fighting law and, you know, using law and facts to try to fight just, you know, I don't even know what, <laughs> a word I will not say on this on this uh, uh, PG-rated podcast.
0: Well, here, here's my bottom line, and I know you got to go. Bottom line for me is um, th- there is a somewhat substantial, not dispositive, but there's a tough evidentiary question about closing the loop beyond a reasonable doubt on his knowledge of the boxes not going back down to the room. Circumstantial evidence suggests, of course, he knew, um, and they didn't actually go back down. But one wonders, will they be able to put forward evidence that closes that loop to where it just becomes ironclad? That's the tough spot in the case. Nod is not going to benefit from that, though, because best case scenario for him, he's not guilty on everything, except he's busted pretty cleanly online to the
1: FBI. You, 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 you just gave me you just gave me our episode title. It's, it's, it's a throwback to uh, the Battle of Lady Gulf during World War Two. The, uh, world, the world wonders. He said, one wonders if, dot, dot, dot. The world wonders. Um, there's a long story behind that quip that that um, we can tell next time. Um, so I will just say, Bobby, that I, I have a hard time believing that Jack Smith would have brought this case in this form at this time if he wasn't pretty confident that he could prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. So,
0: yeah, I suspect right. we're going to find out. I guess you're right, though, that there could, it could be quite a while before we find out in the timing of it. You know, if the showrunners are really taking us back into the crazy world we've been in the past four or five years, then one can imagine that the October through November period next year, if this stuff is going down at that exact same time, and if Trump (sighs) is going down,
1: then you'll you'll definitely win the bet because we'll be recording every day. Oh, boy. Um, All right. uh, We will do uh, the rest of our planned episode for this week next week. Um, Sure. But he is at Bobby Chesney. I'm at NSL Podcast. Uh, wait, I'm not at NSL Podcast. I'm at Steve <laughs> Undercore We are at NSL Podcast. This is what happens when we run up against my hard stop. Um, and the Mets suck. Um, stay safe and unindicted, everybody.
0: <laughs> Adios.